Morning, everyone. I, uh, I do have a confession. I've just had a first in uh, 13 or 14 years of um, preaching and ministry. Um, I had this heart-sinking moment where I was about to get up to preach and I realised I forgot my Bible. <laughs> um, I've left it up on my desk. So I raced over to Graham and I've grabbed his. And, uh, uh, but it does feel like I'm going into battle with another man's sword. So... Um, we'll see how we go. I was hoping you might have some really wise insights scribbled around the, the margins, but classic Graham, it's clean. <laughs> so uh, I'll just gather myself and uh, let's have a look at this word together. How about I pray for us? Uh, Father, we, we, we pause and, and remember and remind ourselves and, and, and say to you what a precious thing it is to have your words, living words, the word of the Lord who created all things by your powerful word, who sustains all things by your word, that you would have them written and preserved and handed down and so accessible for us to now gather around. And we ask, please, as we do each week, but without presumption, that you might soften our hearts so that we would hear Please, by your spirit, through your word, would you speak in a way that touches and transforms us to be the people that you long for us to be, people who would bring you great glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, there are some things in life that are counterintuitive. One of my favourite illustrations of this is one of the best kids' movies, Cars. Um, if you have seen the movie Cars, you'll know that there's uh, the famous... Um, Lightning McQueen, uh, in the next shot there, you'll see the flashy, red, kind of arrogant sports car. And, uh, and this character, anyway, he finds himself a long way from the tarmac, uh, racing around in the desert on the dust there. And he's trying to make this left-hand turn, but he keeps spinning off, keeps coming off the track. Uh, I'm sure many of you have seen this, until the wise old dog Hudson comes along with the counterintuitive advice that... Hey, Lightning, you need to turn right to go left. And uh, now I'm not a car guy, but I understand that there's a thing called drifting. Is that right, car guys? Where you kind of use oversteering to, to kind of kick the back end of the car around and the wheels end up pointing the way that you don't want to go and you end up going the other way. Not a car guy, but it's a thing. And so Lightning McQueen goes, ah, sarcastic, yeah, thanks, turn right to go, thanks a lot. Um, or actually, should I say, no thanks, which in your upside down world might mean thanks. And off he goes and he keeps sliding off the track until finally he eats humble pie, he turns right and he finds, ah, oh, it works. Sometimes you've actually got to turn right to go left. Some things are totally counterintuitive. So much of Jesus' teaching was like this, including his teaching on the path to blessing. How do you get to blessing, to deep, rich abundance of life? Well, our natural intuition, our culture especially says, well, you get about working really hard so that you can gather up and gather up and, and build this nice nest egg and you can retire as early as possible and then start spending the kids' inheritance. Live it up. 
But our intuition has been so deeply broken by sin that if we follow it, we follow it into deep darkness. The Bible comes along and holds out a vision of life that we were made for. And Jesus says, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Acts chapter 20. And this passage that we look at this morning presents God as the one who delights to bless. You see at verse 8, God is able to bless you abundantly. Verse 11, you will be enriched in every way. Who doesn't want that life? But here's the thing, the path to that blessing, to that abundance... It's not the path that our intuition would take us. It's not by holding on and piling up, but rather by letting go and pouring out. It's the counterintuitive life of being a giver, the generous life. Now, this teaching comes to us in a very specific context. The Apostle Paul is mobilising Gentile Christians around Europe to give to meet the material needs of Jewish Christians in Jerusalem who are facing a severe famine. Now, in one sense, this is a never-to-be-repeated situation, what we find here in these letters. But as we know, there are broad principles in it for us to grab hold of and to figure out how it applies to our life. This is a word from God to us, and particularly in regards to giving. Now, if this is your first week at church, and every week we've got people in your situation, you might be going, ah, I knew it. Churches only care about money, they only want my money. Uh, Here I am, and the guy's talking about giving. Now, please hear this, that is not the case. We long for you to know Jesus, who actually, incidentally, teaches on money a lot. Just open up the Gospels to have a look. But it's actually our practice to just work page after page and deal with the agenda that God serves up in the Bible. And so as we work through this letter, this is the third of three weeks dealing on this section that Paul does on giving. And I want to point out that as we've done that, there are three big principles of Christian giving. Three big principles. Firstly, and very briefly, because we focused on it a couple of weeks ago in chapter 8, the first principle is that it is grace, not law, that drives Christian giving. Grace, not law. The New Testament doesn't give us a certain amount that we must give. It did that in the Old Testament under the Old Covenant. We relate to God through Christ in the New Covenant. It doesn't say anything about how much. We don't give in order to get God's approval. Rather, we are givers in light of just how much God has given us. And we've been reflecting on that in song this morning. It's there, chapter 8, verse 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor. In that is he suffered the agonies of the cross so that you, through his poverty, might become rich, spiritually rich, have every blessing in Christ. There's the first key principle of Christian giving that that drives the rest of them. It is a response to grace, not a command, not a law, to be dutifully followed. And so you've got to start there with grace, 
with actually the gospel of understanding who Jesus is, what he has done, what that means for my life. You've got to start there. There's the first big principle. From there, though, therefore, is this second principle that Christian giving is willing, not reluctant. Willing and not reluctant. You see it in chapter 8, verse 12. For if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what one does not have. The focus isn't on the amount, but the heart, the willingness to give. It's in our chapter this morning, chapter 9, verse 5. Paul wants the Corinthians' gift to be ready as a generous gift, not as one grudgingly given. God wants his people to be glad givers because it's the way of grace. As Ben reminded us last week was Mother's Day. Uh, I don't know if you were like Katie and you received the gift that you were going to get anyway (laughs) and so I don't know how you felt about receiving that gift or maybe you were the mum who gave your kid your own money to go to the school store you know, the Mother's Day store, and your kid has given you a whole bunch of knickknacks that you didn't want, you'll probably never use, you're wondering, how long do I have to hold on? Actually, my kid's here. Just block your ears for a second, mate. How long do I have to hold on to these things? You paid with them, for them with your own money. But if the kid has, has delighted to go to the store to, to buy something for mummy, you receive it with joy. It's the heart of the giver that matters not the amount of the gift. It's there in verse 7. Paul repeats this principle. Each of you should give what you have decided in your, own, in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver. Do you see, a key, key to getting grace is not box-ticking. This is not religion just duties, things that we think we must need to do. God cares about our hearts, our hearts, our life with him. It's to be a glad heart. The emphasis is always on the heart of the giver, not the amount of the gift. Now, let me just call out though, what might be going on in some of us, the Pharisee in us, where we go, okay, um, God delights in a cheerful giver. Giving away lots actually makes me sad. Giving away a little, that makes me happy. God loves a cheerful giver, I'll give away a little. Are some of us tempted to do that kind of thing? If so, if that's your approach to life and to life with God, it would be one that is increasingly shriveled to be less of a grape and more of a sultana. If we, if we keep looking for what, what is the bare minimum, God's going, have you got grace? Have you understood who I am? Have you understood how much I love you? Which brings us to the third principle of Christian giving, which Paul spends the rest of his time in this chapter dealing with, all in light of God's grace. But it's this, Christian giving is marked by generosity, not stinginess. Our giving is to be generous and not stingy. You see there, verse 6. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will also reap generously. 
Now, he's giving a proverbial statement that draws on the farming world, which is 21st century coastal people. We just need to pause and kind of think about for a moment. Um, Take wheat, for example. Um, When you have wheat, when you harvest wheat, you've got a choice. You can either process it, grind it up into flour, eat it, or you can extract the seed and plant it, sow it, to get another harvest. So the farmer who harvests his wheat and uses all of it to make cakes and bread and he's going to fill his stomach with delicious carbs, he's going to be nice and full this season. Then he's going to starve next season. Why? Because you can't do both. You, you either consume it or you sow it. Our intuition when it comes to abundance and blessing is we keep thinking that to give away is a loss to me. It's like, uh, it's it's now no longer mine, it's a net loss. But the simple point here is no farmer thinks of sowing his seed as a loss. None. Because there is no other way to abundance than to sow is the point. This is actually a principle that is woven into the way that our world works. The sowing-reaping principle is woven into many dimensions of how our world works. The Proverbs point this out. Let me take you to just a couple. Come back to Proverbs chapter 11. Important to remember with Proverbs that they're general observations about the workings of life, not airtight promises, but observations about how the world typically works. Proverbs chapter 11, we see this principle of sowing and reaping at play in the realm of friendship, relationships. Proverbs 11 verse 16. A kind-hearted woman gains honour. But ruthless men gain only wealth. Those who are kind benefit themselves, but the cruel bring ruin on themselves. Do you see that sowing, reaping principle at work in relationships? The kind person will typically have more friends. They're not doing it to get more friends, it's just a consequence of being a kind person, someone who's not self-absorbed. After all, who wants to hang out with a cruel person? It's the person in relationships who gives away who will typically find themselves enriched relationally. Maybe not necessarily with the person that they're pouring out to, but generally around the place. You see it there in relationships. Then you come over to verse 24, 25. He spots this in finances, in material possessions. One person gives freely, yet gains even more. Another withholds unduly, but comes to poverty. A generous person will prosper. Whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. Now again, this observation is connected to material possessions. It's not an airtight promise. But the observation that abundance comes not by holding on and piling up, 
but by letting go and pouring out, more comes in. Now, those of you who run businesses know this principle. If you were to keep all of your profits and just eat them, drink them, live them, then the business will shrink. You actually need to take what has come in and sow it in order for there to be health and growth. And as the Bible makes these observations about the positive consequences of generosity in the relational and material realms, it then says, so too in the spiritual realm. The most important realm, a rich, full, abundant life with God. Come back to chapter 9. That's what's on view here, one of being a generous giver like God. You see this fall out in the following verses, verse 7. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Then verse 9, he quotes Psalm 112 that we had read to us, which pictures a cheerful, generous giver. And then verse 10, which is key to understanding why this principle of generosity works the way that it does. Why is this counterintuitive thing true? Verse 10. Now he, that's God, who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food, will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched by God in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. Do you see why the Bible is saying it makes sense and this is why we are to be generous givers? It's because it's God who provides everything that we do have in order to be generous with. God is the source of all the stuff that we can be loose-handed with and give. One of the problems for us in our kind of cultural moment, uh, this, this far on the other side of the industrial revolution, the technological revolution, is we, we can have this idea that God's involved with spiritual things, whatever they might be, kind of prayer and miracles and Bible stuff, and then there's just the rest of the world. It just it runs, it just does its thing as if it was a closed system. We can divorce the work of God from ordinary natural means like rain Um, I don't know about you but my phone now gives me alert saying hey it's going to rain in 10 minutes does your phone do that and it's amazing how accurate it is it's going to rain in 10 minutes now I've done this you could do this too if you track through the bible looking for rain just do a search for rain you will find that when rain shows up in the bible much more often than not It doesn't say it rained, it says God sent the rain. If you are saturated in the Bible's way of thinking like Paul was, then you thank God for every ordinary natural process, every provision to sustain life. Paul himself said to a group of pagans, so not followers of God, he says, God has not left himself without testimony. 
He has shown kindness by giving you rain from heaven and crops in their season. He provides you with plenty of food and he fills your hearts with joy. So that behind every good gift that we receive in order to know life and is God, the giver of all things. The alert on my phone should say, God might send rain in 10 minutes. <laughs> Because it's from him. The basis, this is key to understanding this, the basis for generosity there in verse 10 is that everything you have is a gift from God. Everything you have is a gift from God. You might go, no, no, I've worked hard for what I have. I've worked harder than others so that I have more than others. Well, sure, but who has given you the health to work? Who has given you the opportunity to work? Who has given you the skills that are valuable to be paid the way that they are? I mean, who has put you, as was prayed before, who has put you in this country at this particular moment where you can earn the income that you do? I mean, you could be working just as hard in a Chinese rice field and not have much to show for it. No, it's because I've worked hard. No, it's not. It's because God has given you every good thing. Now, yes, we have choices about what we do with that, but we are so quick to divorce God from every good thing that we have. God is the source. And so, we can be generous with it. Why? Because he is the God who runs the world that operates according to the principle that we've pointed out. That it's in the giving life that there's blessing and abundance, not the stingy hold-on-for-me life. God runs the world. That's the way that he's made the world. And all good things come from him, so as we give it away, he's the one who continues to replenish. We can trust that he makes the generosity that we sow grow. Getting a hold of this more and more will help us grow in generosity. God provides for me. It's all a gift from him. Give it away. Now, there is something that we need to be careful about here, particularly in light of the last Uh, three or four decades, Paul is not teaching what recent prosperity preachers have taught, particularly from this passage. Um, No doubt many of you have heard of the prosperity gospel. It's the teaching, and much of it will come from uh, this chapter, and actually a lot in the Old Testament, it's key to understand there's a, a shift that happens between the covenants. But it's the promise that, you know, if you give 10 bucks, you'll get 100 back. And so keep giving in order that your personal wealth might get bigger and fatter. But this is not a promise from God that by being generous, he will make you wealthy. For a few reasons, I mean, we could go to lots of reasons wider in the scriptures, but let me just point out a few in this passage. And I'll do that by pointing out the three consequences of the generous giving that's on view here. Three consequences of this. Number one, the abundance that we need. Verse 8. 
And God is able to bless you abundantly, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need. If you're a highlighter, underliner, I want to do it in Graham's Bible, underline need. He'll provide all that you need. Those of you that have travelled abroad and have spent time in communities much like a Chinese rice field community and you've come back to the central coast, you've had a fresh perspective, haven't you, of what a need is. Uh, It was an honour to be at Cathy McMinimi's funeral through the week who lived to over 100 and so we're hearing some great stories of her life. And how she would talk about the joy of getting an orange for Christmas. And she said, I had everything I needed. I look forward to an orange at Christmas. Now, as we dealt with a couple of weeks ago, all good things are from God. It's not bad, it's not wrong, it's not necessarily sinful to have nice things, to enjoy nice things. We just don't want to cry poor, is the point. I take it that Paul does have the provision of material needs in mind here as he calls the Corinthians to give out of them and to trust God, that it is God who provides for material needs. But it's need, not materialistic, greedy wants. More importantly, notice what God's provision is for. So that in all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. There's the goal of the abundant provision to provide for the need that we might abound in every good work. The goal of God's provision is not growing personal wealth but for every good work from his people. This is shorthand from Paul, you can chase it up through the rest of his writings. He's talking about living in a way that pleases God. That's every good work. Uh, the, the, The life that we were made to live in a relationship with God, to love Him, to love others. A life that is marked by generosity. No matter whether you have a lot or a little. Notice that. This is at all times. Having all that you need, whether you have a lot or a little, God has provided you with all that you need for every good work. A life marked with generosity, with money, yes. Possessions, yes, but more than that. Think of all that the Lord has given you. Time, energy, and the best of that time and that energy. Prayers, relationships, relationships with exhausting people where it's give and it's give and you've got to be generous to keep giving and there doesn't seem to be much in return. Parenting, particularly in young years, particularly in teenage years, particularly in later years. Caring for the elderly, taking them to appointments. A life marked by generosity is what God promises to provide for. Verse 10 also makes plain that This generous giving is not for the goal of getting rich, but to enlarge the harvest of your 
righteousness. Another key word to underline. Righteousness is what God is concerned to grow in us. Again, shorthand language for right living, right response to grace, pleasing to God. This is not prosperity gospel. We're to be generous with all that the Lord gives us, material things included, trusting that God is the provider of all we need for those things. Here's the second consequence of generous giving. It's that it is a blessing to others. The focus is not actually on ourselves, but it's a blessing to others. Verse 12, Paul connects the Corinthians' giving to meeting the needs of the Lord's people in Jerusalem People that the Corinthians had never actually met, catch this, and they probably never would. Giving generously to people they didn't even know. Actually, in chapter 11, verse 8, we'll come to it, Paul will talk about how other churches had given financially so that Paul might meet the spiritual needs of the Corinthians. People they didn't know. And so what's going on here? The consequence is it's to be a blessing to others whether you know them or not to meet material needs and spiritual needs. The focus of the generosity is that it will be a blessing to others. And here's the third consequence of generous giving. It's the biggest one because it's the goal of life. It's the glory of God. And you'll only care about this if you've been captured by grace the grace of God to come and rescue a rebel like me to restore me into relationship with him to forgive me fully and finally to make me his son to give me his spirit to give me the hope of eternal life now into eternity unless you've been captured by that you won't care for this end but it's the end for which we were made that God might be praised, that he might be glorified for who he is. And you see this as a result of the giving. Verse 11. Through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. This service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Because of the service by which you have proved yourselves, others will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. In their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace God has given you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Do you see the big end goal of all of this? Do you see the big end goal of all that God has given us? It's that we might glorify Him. As people are blessed by the generosity of God's people, they, by the gracious work of God, then turn to praise Him for that blessing, for that provision, whether it be material or spiritual. Now let me move to apply a bunch of this to us, beginning with this last point, actually. I want you to ask yourself this question. Are there people who will praise God because of your generosity? Are there people who will praise God because of your generosity? 
Now, that can be a hard thing to work out, can't it? Because you're seeking to be generous, but not so that you might get a report back from them, did they praise God? But I want to point out how this has looked in my life and then our life. Um, It was 15 years ago when I quit my steady job with a good income to go to Bible college to head into full-time ministry. It was the riskiest, scariest, most kind of unplanned thing we'd ever done. Uh, We had two young kids, uh, we had bills to pay, we had all of that stuff and I quit my job. I was the only bread earner and so we went down to no income. Um, We we wanted to do it, we were stoked to do it, it was risky. But we, we were living in that kind of season maybe some of you have been there where it is it, again it's not Chinese rice field stuff got to put that into perspective but uh, in terms of our cultural perspective it really was man where is the next 50 bucks going to come from um, how are we going to get through this week and this month and man numbers of times like we would come home and find in front of the front door just grocery bags, um, full of groceries, not just plastic bags. <laughs> that would be weird and cruel. Um, bags of groceries that were just sitting at the door. We had no idea who dropped them off. And what did we do? We praised God for his provision and then quickly ate the ice cream that was melting. <laughs> um, a, a big bill would be due. Oh man, what are we going to do? And there'd be this money that would show up in the letterbox, unannounced, matching what we needed. Oh, praise God. Now, I don't know who that was, but we praise God and there were lots of moments like that. And I want to say, um, not that you do this to be seen, but I know and I see something of this among us. Uh, showing generosity to people. You don't know what happens on the other end of that. But we do trust that God will work it to bring praise to himself. But what about people praising God for you meeting their spiritual needs? Again, that's a tricky one to work out. But let me try and help us by focusing in on this family and our gospel work together. Um, Just this year so far, where are we up to? May. We've had 27 adults profess to become Christians. 27 adults praising God. We've had over 50 teenagers do the same. We are baptising 19 of them this afternoon. Get down there to be part of praising God for the fruit of our work together as we hold out the gospel. A bunch of these adults have young children who are now growing up in the Lord, who are over there right now, hearing the gospel, who we trust will grow to live a life of praising God. Friends, that's your work as you have given and partnered and served in this work. At the Reach Australia conference just last week where we had over a thousand people from well over a hundred churches, pastors and leaders. Um, there was a moment where the keynote speaker up here who was from Western Australia, pastor from Western Australia, he, he paused as he wanted to acknowledge and give thanks to God 
just how blessed his church has been by EV and some other churches who for years they've been on the receiving end of resources, of coaching, of conferences and it was this moment where he just wanted to say my church just wouldn't be healthy and growing but for the generosity of you and other churches and he said he's now in this place where he's hoping that his church is moving from being a net receiver to a net giver to do the same to other churches friends this is your work as you give and serve to making every part work here Another pastor came up to me at the conference. He went, oh, Jez, good to meet you and see you in the flesh. I see you every time we press play on the life videos that we use in our church because we can't get the speakers and all of that. And so they're using the resources that we've produced to hold out the gospel to people in their hometown. Friends, that's your work as you give and serve to make the whole thing work. I don't think we appreciate actually just how much what we are doing here is blessing the coast but beyond. So I'm attempting to just connect some dots for us. Um, Every teaching series that we do, so we're in 2 Corinthians now, a pastor who is giving a lot of time to writing daily reading notes that I know many of you are blessed by, Bible studies, a comms team that is producing artwork and media, all of that gets packaged up and sent out to a whole bunch of other churches. That's your work, our work, as you give and partner in the whole thing. Our kids' staff get invited to speak at conferences to share their insights about what God has done and shown them. That is your work, our work. Our finance manager does books for other churches so that it works out to be a fraction of the cost of what it would otherwise be if they had to go and figure that out themselves. That's your work. That's our work across the country. Trevor was telling me that he's being asked for his songs to be translated into Mongolian so that they can praise no other name in Mongolian. Friends, that's your work, our work as you give generously, joyfully, sacrificially to the gospel work that is happening, it's blessing the coast and beyond, be encouraged. And so let me finish with this. Can it be said of your life that it's marked by generosity? Again, that's a tricky question. Because at what point does it now go, yes, it is. We all know there's more we could do. But many of you are, many of your lives are, and you're seeking to grow in generosity. Then be reminded, be encouraged, this is the path to blessing, to great enrichment by God. Keep going, don't grow weary of doing good. But maybe this morning, if you're honest, you can't say that your life looks overly generous. Maybe this is the morning to own that before God. And to repent, to do something with it, to enjoy the forgiveness of a saviour and to do something, to change something, to become a giver, not a hoarder, to become someone who increasingly responds to the grace that the Lord God has given you, to step out in faith and trust that 
He's the God that runs the world and will provide for your every need. And if you're sitting there cynical about hearing a church call you to give and to give more, do not give anything to this church. Give it somewhere else. We really mean that. If you're just thinking this is a... uh, God loves a cheerful giver. Give it somewhere else. But be a giver. Be someone who's been captured more and more by grace that you might know the blessing that comes from it and most of all, that God might honour his name by being generous. I want to press pause, ask the band to come on up. Actually, no, we're going to, we're going to do some... What are we going to do? I just know we're going to do something different. I see Ben walking down. We're going to do communion. Awesome. Um, well, as Ben comes down, I'm going to pray for us and then he'll lead us in that time. Father God, we, uh, we will never plumb the depths of just how good and generous you have been to us, but we do ask that you might take us deeper and deeper and we will have eternity to keep going deeper. But for now and, and for this morning, this day, this week, please um, move us to be more and more of the people that you would have us to be. Forgive us for our stinginess. Forgive us for thinking... Um, we've got to hoard it to ourselves to provide for ourselves. And please, might generosity flow in us, through us, uh, that we might know the joy of that, that others might be deeply blessed by it. We give you great thanks that that is happening, uh, for the news of what's happening in our church, around our country, that we can be part of that. And uh, we long to be in the new creation alongside hundreds, thousands of people who will be praising God that we got to have a small part in bringing about by your good grace. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.